and welcome to the brand new episode of the Smart Power Podcast. This episode is titled, The Dark and the Bright Side of Development Infrastructure Projects. We have with us today, Amit Khan a student of construction project management. He worked on the project with the United Nations Development Program in Lebanon and has experience of managing such projects. Uh, thanks for being on our podcast, Amit. Tal Akash, thanks for having me here. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Ahmed? Well, um, I come from a civil engineering background back in Lebanon. I studied for five years program, civil engineering. I have two years of experience in the construction industry. One of them, just like you said, it's with the UNDP project. And uh, now I'm here at the University of Leeds doing my master's in uh, project management. And I'm the course rep as well, so basically some leadership skills needed. All right, that's nice. Uh, thanks for being on our podcast, Ahmed. Uh, so we're just going to ask you a bunch of questions about uh, based on your experience and based on what you've learned and stuff like that. So let's start with the basics, shall we? Uh, how does one define a development infrastructure project or a development project? Akash, that's a great question. So briefly, I'm going to go briefly through this. Developed projects are usually projects initiated by governments in order to enhance their economical status. Such projects mostly tackle the infrastructure of the country and include transport infrastructure such as airports or railways. Okay. Also, it can reflect a specific culture governments would like to show such renewable energy projects, for instance, solar power plants like Andasol in Spain, which we will be talking about, and wind farms like Great Gabard offshore here in the UK. Finally, some developed projects can be done for governance purposes, such as the Belt and Road project of the century initiated by China, which links itself to the European continent through Asia. Right. That's interesting. Um, and in regards to like cost, finance and funding, um, development projects require funding, of course. Um, how how act how do actually development projects get funded? Uh, where does the dough basically come from? OK, um, developed projects usually are considered large or so-called mega projects. They have unique characteristics different than regular projects such as long lifespan that might exceed five years and large investment plans. Researchers mostly classify mega projects when their budget exceeds $500 million. Moreover, what makes a developed project more unique is its political interference, which in some cases might create a hindrance constraining the project's success. So, so how do these... Um loans work so uh, countries de uh, developing countries or middle income countries uh, need money right so yeah. where do they get the money from okay so as i mentioned earlier the developed project need large investment plans so basically governments aiming to enhance its infrastructure reaching for a better economy will try to secure external funds with low interest rates the range of these interest rates a government can receive is based on its credit rating you know so each government has its own credit rating. So for example, if a government is a triple A credit rating, it will receive a low interest rate from, uh, from the lenders. Lenders can include uh, like large banks like the World Bank or the Europe European Investment Bank are considered the big sharks in this domain. Also, instead of putting all our eggs in one basket, government would secure additional small loans from local banks. 
All right. So, uh, so basically, they're getting money uh, from outside of uh, their own country, so yes. that because they don't want to pay uh, play with uh, their taxpayers' money. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, of course, uh, when there's money involved, there definitely will be a problem of some sort, right? Yeah, true. Because <laughs> where there's money, there's always some kind of a problem. Definitely. So, uh, investigative journalists came up with the idea of, of follow the money trail or follow the paper trail uh, when dealing with issues surrounding money. So what are some of the problems around money and development projects? So just like we said, always developed projects are so large, their investment plan can impact the country's economy. For instance, like let's take let's take California's high-speed rail that costs seventy billion dollars. That's almost one point five times the entire wow. GDP of Lebanon. Wow. So imagine what are the consequences of this project fails. Imagine what will happen. In fact, two out of three mega projects proved poor performance around the world. They always exceed budget and time. Moreover, due to the long lifespan. Us as project managers, we cannot foresee the risks such as inflation or macroeconomic shocks can also, which also impact the performance of developed projects. And how do you think, um, especially we hear a lot about in, in, in developing countries in regards to corruption, yeah. um, how, how would you um, see that if, if for example if uh, you mentioned the european union um they 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 give funding and loans to yeah. develop con developing right. countries how does corruption corruption factor in well corruption is really important in our game so most government prefer to hire private sector for for the design finance build and operation of the developed project they won't do it themselves they need the pro they, the adequate skills to do it so if we live in La La Land, for example, where corruption does not exist, that would be smoothly and the general public will receive a running project with minimum cost. But come on, welcome to the real world, Neo, where corruption <laughs> exists everywhere. And it's sometimes calculated in the mega project's budget. We would include corruption between the, among the budget when, oh, we wow. we, when we calculate the cost. That's funny. So <laughs> a, simple, a simple example of corruption is like a politician supporting a developed project in a specific country and then hiring their own construction companies to implement it. Whether this company is adequate or not, he's making more money. So, or it's like... Um, uh, this company might not be adequate enough for the job or like can deliver value for money for the general general public. Another example I can think of is lobbying can play a major role in development projects, especially during the elections period. In regards to um, relationships between stakeholders, government and people, um, so there's quite a few people and stakeholders of any kind within development, right? And all of them have complex relationships, but before we delve into the relationships, how does one identify a stakeholder or who is a stakeholder within development projects? Um, that's a nice question. So if I want to go back to the basics, I'll go to the Project Management Institute definition of a stakeholder, which is uh, individuals or group of people who can impact or be impacted by the objectives or the outcomes of a project. From this definition, we can conclude a long list of stakeholders in a developed project, but I will focus on the most important ones. First, the government being the client is considered a stakeholder. From a governance perspective, the government can impose new legislation to facilitate or constrain the performance of a developed project. Second, the consortium created by the alliance of the two several 
companies for the design, build, finance, and operation of the facility are also main stakeholders in developed project. Notwithstanding, they have an interest in the project objectives, aiming to make uh, to make as much profit as they as they can. Their transparency, adequacy, human skills, and and culture can impact the project success. In countries where the right experience does not exist for the implementation of such project, foreign companies ally with local ones for the execution of the develop of the developed projects. Such event might create a burden due to the difference in culture. Moreover, lenders, mm -hmm. which like you asked me earlier about, are a major stakeholder in developed project. Such, uh, such as the World Bank, the EIB, and the local banks are investing large amount of money in the success of a developed project. Also, banks can impose a sort of governance in developed project, which might constrain its performance. For example, and this is a really good example, the World Bank recently in 2019 just signed a five-year agreement with the International Federation of the Consulting Engineers. So basically this is called FIDIC and it's a standard form of contract used widely in the construction industry worldwide. So any, the problem, uh, so any contract or any project that is funded by the World Bank nowadays mm -hmm. should adopt the standard form of contract which is FIDIC and it's it's really worth a topic to look to to shed the light on is like whether this FIDIC will constrain these mega projects funded by the World Bank or not because these type of these FIDIC is made for a special type of projects not all projects so so they that, that's that's uh, that, that might create a hindrance as well uh, finally, uh, general public and end users are also a main stakeholders um, uh, in a developed projects, uh, and they can impact or be impacted by uh, by the outcomes of of these developed projects. Definitely. All right. Uh, so you told us that there are a bunch of stakeholders. Uh, you have the World Bank playing a huge role in development projects, and you have governments and populations and uh, uh and and even private the private sector mm -hmm. private design firms and uh, project management firms yeah. and stuff like that so what are the relationships between these stakeholders uh, does is, is it usually just two two uh parties discussing with each other or is it is it a dialogue between a huge number of parties how does how does this relationship work well the relationship whenever the project is bigger the relationship become more complex because we are facing something called a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. Whenever we have a large amount of stakeholders, each stakeholder has their own interest in a project and these interests might conflict. So one of the challenges in a developed mega project is the interference of large number of stakeholders. That would lead to something called conflict of interest, just like we said. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the relationship among the government, the private sector, and the population is a like closed loop. The government would like to please the general public and the end users in order to be re-elected again. The general public would like to receive a perfectly running project with a minimum cost and risks, but the private sector, almost being opportunistic, see the developed project as a chance to increase their revenues. So what would the impact Impact uh, on the population be of a certain development project. Can you just give us the positives and negatives briefly? 
uh, well, yeah, if a, if a developed project was over budget, it impacts the public, definitely. If it was delayed, it impacts the public. When initiating a developed project, government should always keep in mind they are dealing with taxpayers' money. Yeah. Therefore, they should be carefully, they should be careful how to spend every dime. As a result, developed project can be considered an opportunity for the general public, which aids them in the enhancement of their economy. Therefore, better living, or it can be considered a nightmare that caused them lots of debt, leading to an increase in taxes. All right. So it's like uh, if you want to build a road, the road costs a lot of money. Exactly. But if there's a delay in building of the road, uh, uh, people can't use that that area of that road, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so it, it affects people both ways. Exactly. Akash. But once the road is built, people can use the road to go to places, increases yeah. connectivity, increases True. trade. True. And the delay would cost us money. Yeah. The delay would cost the private sector money. And if the private sector was paying more money, they will increase the tariffs when they operate yeah. the facility, leading to the taxpayers yeah. paying more money mm. to use the facility. So that's, can, can that's, you... that's the closed loop. Yeah, that's the closed loop. Uh, can, can, you, can you give us a case study or an example uh, to, uh, to give us an idea of what these complex relationships might look like, you know? Uh, well, uh, first, first thing I could think of, it's not basically a developed project but it also highlights how end users can impact a project or be impacted. It's, um, it's the Manchester, uh, Manchester Toll Bridge. Uh, so basically in 1863, there was a, the government like, gave the right to Manchester Ship Canal Company to build the Warburton Toll Bridge that links uh, Rixton, uh, Rixton and Wa Warrington, uh, Cheshire to the north, with, with Warburton to, uh, to Trafford, Greater Manchester to the south. The toll cost 18p's in today's, today's money to cross and can only be paid in cash. This is the problem. That caused a massive congestion leading to a delay in the end user's journey. Several complaints were raised by the locals, but no actions were taken. On, on the 10th of May 2018, the BBC News reported that <laughs> the locals have burned the toll in order to reduce <laughs> the traffic jam taking place. Imagine that. So in general, when the public harmed the project, the impact directly transferred from the private sector running the project to the government that should give guarantees to the private sector in, the ag in its agreement, guarantees to be paid from taxpayers' money. Therefore, when we do such act, the general public are only impacting themselves without them knowing it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a proper backfire. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, just a, another question to uh, or a follow up question to add on it. What would you say about um, dams, building of dams in, say, developing countries? For example, um, the display uh, 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 by building dams, uh, thousands of people be become displaced that would be a negative. Exactly, exactly. That would be definitely a negative because like when you build dams, basically like a, a simple structure of a dam is like, we're using dams to create energy from water, mm -hmm. right? So we're stopping the source of water to a special amount of people which they will be needing to relocate because water is a as an as a significant resource for it's, humans it's an essential exactly example. so basically um, some lesson learned from project management um, uh, and several and several projects like dams uh, it's something called uh, we classify these people who are impacted as like urgent 
And if they are powerful enough as stakeholders, they can change or stop this project. So too bad, just like you said, uh, developed projects can harm and impact, uh, impact these populations. But if they are represented by a really powerful politician in the government, they can vote against this project and they can shut it down. So again, uh, when when these construction projects are built, they are they are built up. From what I've learned from my flatmate mm. and uh, you as well, is uh, the idea of a public-private partnership. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So you're basically simplistically saying uh, all the civil society organizations, the government, the population, and everybody yeah. is the public, and yeah. then you have private companies who exactly. actually build the toll road. Yeah. So um, could you give us an example of a PPP or a uh, public private partnership. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, Akash. So basically, just to explain simply, a PPP is a partnership between a public and a private where the public wants to initiate a development project, but they don't want to pay for it. So they would hire the private companies to pay for it and to operate it, make revenues from it, and then transfer it to the public again. The simplest example I can think of is Fertagas Railway in Portugal. So uh, basically, PPP should give value for money, but value for money is really hard to track, especially when it's based on risk allocation between the private and the public sector. So Vertex's concession was 30 years period and funded by the private sector with an amount of $114 million, where the consortium would generate revenues based on the traffic volume, okay? Due to optimistic estimates, Traffic volume was low. So basically, why the private sector do optimistic estimates? To win the bid. They would lie about it just to win the bid. And then what happens? They fail. The traffic volume was low due to governmental... Uh, sorry. So the traffic volume was low uh, due to optimistic uh, estimates. And due to governmental guarantees in the agreement of the contract, the public sector was liable to pay 100 and $10 million for the private sector from 2004 to 2010. Wow. The concession period was reduced, but come on, those money was paid from the taxpayer's yeah. pocket. It's not the general public fault when their government would fail, would fall into the optimistic estimation of the private sector. <laughs> it's not their fault. Um, that is very interesting and to some extent tragic. Um, and in an earlier discussion that we were having, um, you spoke about how some stakeholders might be part of part of a closed loop yeah. or cause and effect of some development projects. What is this closed loop and uh, cause and effect you were talking about earlier? Oh, okay. Uh, so. As we discussed, the purpose of the developed project is to enhance the infrastructure of certain countries, right? So those projects are, are voted on by members of the parliament. So members that cannot be elected without the powerful votes of the great number of people. Therefore, when I want to describe the closed loop, I would define it as some kind, uh, I would, I would like some conditions the people are the ones who vote for the existence of development project which is a part of the political party campaign eventually but in contrast people imposing political pressure can also vote for shutting down a running project so just like i told you with the dam example so um, and that would create a conflict with their interests 
One example can be the Italian nuclear waste storage program that was about to take place in the province of Basilicata in March 2003. The region was seen a perfect place for the Italian government to bury its nuclear waste. Such project would impact 41,000 individuals living near this province, leading to environmental impacts such as air pollution, food insecurity, in addition to health diseases, definitely. Locals and environmental bodies start protesting against this project, putting political pressure on the power lobbies, resulting in stopping the project, costing almost $6.3 billion. Oh, wow. Locals were lucky that the project was stopped. But what happened with other stakeholders who don't have the power or the urgency to stand against projects that can impact their health, therefore change their life forever? This is the question. So yeah, so what you're saying is the voters show their opinion on a development project, whether it should exist or not, yeah. at the voting booth. And uh, and yeah, so it's basically the, the, the voters say, yeah, we want that development project. Yeah. But when it causes them harm, they say, we don't want to exactly. shut it down immediately. Yeah, exactly. People's voices have power. Yeah. And exactly. you've given two example, great examples of this. Yeah. Um, in terms of, say, again, people's voices and in terms of, say, climate change and renew renewable energy projects, as development projects are trending right now, such as solar farms, wind farms, yeah. sustainable waste disposal yeah. and water resources. So with regard to these projects, what future development projects do you see in renewable energy and sustainable development? Well, it's a great question, to be honest, because like renewable energy projects are evolving right now, especially due to the climate change we are facing, just like you said. So funding bodies just like the World Bank and the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank are interested in funding such projects. Governments are running to put new legislation for clean energy. For example, the UK is willing to reach 20% of the total energy of the country based on clean energy, and they're putting new legislation to reach that by 2020. So although relying on renewable energy sounds great for the general public, sustainable future, for example, which directly leads to a government to be re-elected for such campaigns, but renewable energy projects are large projects having a huge amount of investment and large amount of risks since we are talking about high amount of technology being used. The simplest example I can think of and it's an old example that took place in the late 90s, but it's a really good project. It was the development project of Andasol in southern Spain. So basically, Andasol uh, uh, was a project uh, initiated by the elected government by then, consisted of three power plants, which is Andasol 1, 2, and 3, and having a total budget of almost a billion euros. The project was having a design, build, operate procurement strategy won by a private consortium of both Spanish and German companies. The developed project was a great idea in the late 90s. It was something we call in project management first of a kind. Why? Because Endosol was the first power plant back then that was using the energy storage technology. It's the first project uh. that store energy. In other words, those solar plants could store energy for seven hours after sunset, so you can still have clean energy after sunset. The project was not over budget or delayed, but it was facing financial and governance problem. Since the private consortium is running the facility and selling the clean electricity to the Spanish government, 
an increase in tariffs on the electricity took place twice in 2004 and in 2007. Um, I've read a book for, for, for an author called Tommy. The book's name was An Unworthy Future. He explained that Andesol produced electricity 3.3 times more expensive than combined cycle natural gas, 2.8 times more than conventional coal, and 2.5 times more than nuclear power. Wow. Yeah, so further. So basically, you're saying solar energy is expensive. It is. It's really so, expensive. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, he, he, he added that the Spanish government added a debt of 520 euros on each citizen in 2012 to cope with the increased cost. Wow. So basically, renewable energies are great. We love sustainable future. But guys, please focus on value for money. People are not willing to pay that much. We're already paying our taxes. We're already doing our job. Do yours as a government, please. So probably sometime in the future, um, and economies of scale all put in when solar energy and solar farms really become cheaper, then it makes sense. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So so for a, a middle income country or or low low income country, it really doesn't make sense to invest in solar farms then because it's really expensive for them, right? Exactly. Exactly. You need to to look at the GDP of 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 a country, for example. It doesn't make sense. Of the GP, GDP is really low, and making and like producing such developed project that the outcomes or the results are really expensive. You know. So. So yeah, we've had a very long conversation about infrastructure development and sustainable development projects, but we've never we never spoke about the United Nations oh, sustainable that's development goals. That's uh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's also called the SDGs. Uh, so I think that these SDGs are symbolic, even from a policy perspective. You yeah. Know? What do you think of uh, with your on the ground experience of engaging with these development projects? So uh, based on my experience, well. Uh, I had I had a short experience with the NDT, the NDP. We were working on a developed educational project back in Lebanon, in my country. It was wonderful. I I had this call in January two thousand and seven from the NDP recruitment office saying that they need a cost engineer based on four month contract uh, for for the educational project. Well, basically the project is set as a four year agreement with the Lebanese Ministry of Education and Higher Education. The scope was basically to include a technical support to the ministry in the implementation of the educational sector development plan. And uh, it was great. Basically, we were like calculating as, as part of my liability is to calculate the cost of refurbishment of several schools in Lebanon for the usage of, of uh, Lebanese students, mm -hmm. in addition to Palestinian and Syrian refugees as well. And it was amazing working with these guys. Right. So, uh, can can you tell us a little bit about how uh, the the project management part of your UNDP experience uh, melded with uh, the local communities in the area? Yeah. So uh, basically, the NDP was was really great with something we call stakeholder management. How to interact with stakeholders and users. So basically, we had a first workshop as a team where the NDP explained about the project's aims and objectives. We, said, we, we started putting some bullet points. We started talking about what could constrain the project. And I was shocked that like, 
the, the higher management of the NDP is basically foreigners. They're not locals, but they are really, they have the knowledge with the local region. They have, mm -hmm. they, they, they knew what could constrain the project based on their experience in the region. They knew everything about it. And they had meetings with the youngs, like, uh, like Lebanese students, Palestinian, uh, Syrian refugees, asking them what is the most important things for them in education, what they are expecting. You know, it's, it's, it's really great. This is part of the stakeholder management and I really appreciate what they were doing, you know. The... Well, UNDP is pretty good in, in, in uh, being the main agency for the United Nations in regards to development projects. And, yeah. and they, they, they've uh, been around for many, many decades now. Um, exactly. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's really interesting to see that uh, and it's, kind of encouraging to see that the UNDP and the UN have some really uh, professional experience. Exactly. People. Yeah. Yeah. It's promising. So, yeah. It's promising. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I guess we could probably end with a s short question on what do you think? What do you think is the future of development infrastructure projects? Development infrastructure projects are always based on uh, on what people need, what governments need, and government are here to please the general public. So for example, if we want to talk about renewable energy, yeah, we need renewable energy project, but we need cheap energy. We don't need expensive ones. Wind farms, solar systems are expensive. And just like I gave Andesol's example, we need cheaper ones. We don't need to tariffs to be increased, yeah. you know? As from water infrastructure, we always need clean water. That's really important. Yeah, so development infrastructure projects are mandatory for countries. Just like we talked, as a conclusion, there's pros and cons. Yeah. They can yeah. impact the general public, but at the same time, they are giving them a running project that increases their economy. Mm. For example, like in Cambodia, they didn't have an airport back in the 90s. The French company made a consortium and they created an airport. The airport was delayed. It cost them too much. There was conflicts. It was impacted by the Chinese microshocks. But eventually at the end, Cambodians had an airport. They could travel. It increased their GDP. So there's always pros and cons and develop projects. You know, we need to see the outcomes. Yeah. yeah. That's it. So at the end of the day, you've got to have more benefits yeah. than your costs. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So uh, thanks for being on our Thank podcast. Thank you so much, Akash. Uh, thanks Thank for having me. It's Thank so you interesting. for coming. Thank you so much. <laughs> it, it's been a great uh, learning experience about, you know, uh, infrastructure development projects and how they interact with international development at yeah. a macro level and at a micro level as well. So thanks for listening to the Smart Power Podcast with Akash and Thal. We will be back next week with an exciting episode. The Smart Power Podcast is now available on 11 platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many, many more. So please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and following or subscribing to our podcast on whichever app you listen to podcasts from. And most importantly, share this podcast with whoever you think will be interested in it. Your brother, sister, mother, father, distant relative sitting in Antarctica, pen pal in South Africa, your pet dog Snowy, everybody. You should share it. <laughs> if you listen to a podcast on Anchor, uh, you can leave us a voice message through the app and we might feature you in our next episode. Thanks again for listening. This is Akash. And Tao. Signing off.